Well, good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Numbers 16. Now, as you remember, as we're going through the book of Numbers, two chapters ago in Numbers chapter 14, we had the failed entrance to the land. As you remember, the Lord commanded the people of Israel to go into the land, but they listened to the bad report of the spies and refused to go into the land. And so the Lord said that this generation shall surely not inherit the land and must wander for 40 years. But then, of course, with their rebellious hearts, the people said, well, now that the Lord has said that we cannot go into the land, let's go into the land. And of course, they met with failure and defeat. In chapter 15, last week, we saw how there was a shift in the story of the book of Numbers to a section of law, talking about how the Lord has set apart the people of Israel as holy. And now with these two things in mind, these two chapters in mind, we come to chapter 16, where we have the Israelites who are discouraged because of what has happened. But they have just heard this word that they are all to be holy. And so we now have Korah, who was a Levite, leading a rebellion based upon the anger and the fear of the people and this understanding that all people are holy. So let us turn our attention to God's Word. We'll read the first seven verses of the chapter, and as we go through the sermon, the rest of the narrative will be played out. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom He chooses, He will bring near to Him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all His company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Blessed You are, Lord, our great God, for the testimonies of the prophets, 
for the statutes of your law, for the gospel of Christ and the witness of the apostles. Lord, we bless you, O gracious God. We pray now, grant to us the spirit of your glory and the brightness of your presence that we might hear your word and understand through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Is there really only one way to God? This is the question that we are posed with this morning in our text. We have Korah, who is the cousin of Aaron and Moses, the leader of the most prestigious family of Levi behind Aaron's house. The family that handles the most holy things of the tabernacle. And he comes to Aaron and Moses and says, as we've already read in verse 3, you can look there again, you have gone too far. Moses and Aaron, you have taken this too far. For all in the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Do you hear the objection that they are making? Do you hear the insinuation of Korah here? He's saying to Aaron and Moses, How dare you be so exclusive? How dare you deny that all the people of the congregation have the right to come to God on their own terms? This is an objection that Christians have been dealing with for centuries. The exclusivity of our beliefs. In the Roman Empire, Christianity was persecuted not because it was different. The Romans were open to all sorts of different religious expressions, but rather because it was exclusive. It denied worship to the emperor and refused to blend their worship with pagan beliefs, and so they were persecuted. Our Reformation forefathers were persecuted not because they believed in justification by faith alone, but rather because they claimed that Christ alone was the head of the church and that the Bible alone was the authority for faith and practice. And today, the pressure that we have from the culture is not from the fact that we believe in Christ for salvation, but rather that we will not accept that every other faith is valid in pursuing God. It's fine if you want to believe in Christ, but you have gone too far if you deny that everyone has the right to pursue God their own way. And maybe you are here this morning. And this is your objection. This is your hardship. You might like the music in the church. You might like the idea of love and forgiveness and mercy. You might like the youth program, the fellowship, but you can't wrap your mind around this narrowness, the exclusivity of the church, of the message of Christ. And you might even be thinking, why wouldn't God accept every offering? And that is the question of our text this morning. Will the Lord accept the offering of Korah? Who has gone too far? Is it Moses in his exclusivity or is it Korah in his universality? For Moses challenges the rebels to present their offering before the Lord. 
to see whose offering the Lord will accept. Is the only way to the Lord through His anointed prophet and priest through Moses and Aaron? Or are there multiple ways to come to the Lord? So how will this conflict be resolved? How will we know if the Lord will accept Korah and his offering? Well, of course, we have to put it to the test, right? If someone claims they can bench press 300 pounds, you want them to prove it. When your son says, hey, I've completed my homework, you usually say, well, let me see it. When your friend claims that she knows all the words to let it go, you want her to sing it. And so we read in verses 17 and 18, Moses saying, Let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. You believe that you have the right to come before the Lord apart from His appointed priest? Then let's put it to the test. Let's see who the Lord accepts. Let's take the 250 plus of you and go before the Lord on one hand and Aaron on the other hand and see who the Lord accepts. You see, Moses challenges this rebellion against his own calling. Korah's claim is is that Moses and Aaron have set themselves up as the only way to the Lord. That they have exalted themselves for their own Gain. And so in verse 15, if you look, it says, And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. The exclusivity of Moses and Aaron's calling was not for their own personal gain. I imagine that Moses would have rather spent his retirement years resting, watching his grandchildren grow. As he says, I haven't even taken a donkey from these people. Nevertheless, in the midst of this challenge, Moses continues to seek for Israel's good. For the anger of the Lord burns against the people for their rebellion. And so we read in verses 20 through 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? You see, while Moses prays that the Lord will not accept the offering of Korah, He also continues to pray that the Lord will show mercy to the congregation of Israel. The challenge was that Moses and Aaron established themselves in the exclusive position of mediator between the Lord and Israel for their own gain. But in reality, they were given this task to serve and to pray for the people. 
For the mediator between God and man is not given this exclusive role that he might take from the people, but rather that he might bless and serve the people. You see, so often businesses might seek to establish monopolies so that through their exclusive position they might charge whatever they want. They might exploit through their exclusive position. But God does not establish His mediator that He might take from the people, but rather that He might serve and give to the people. As the Lord Jesus proclaimed of Himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Or as we read in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might be made rich. Korah's rebellion... And therefore His offering is based on a false claim that Moses made Himself mediator so that He might take from the people. But in response to this challenge, Moses and Aaron sacrificially serve the people, praying before the Lord as the only mediator between God and man. And so Korah and his cohorts, they offer their incense before the Lord. They put it to the test. And what happens? What is the result? Does the Lord bless their offering? Does the Lord open the priesthood to all who would come? Well, we read in verses 31 and 32 the Lord's response. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods were consumed. You see, the Lord immediately judges the house of Korah and those who would follow his rebellion. This judgment was to display to all Israel that the Lord alone has the right to establish the one mediator between Himself and His people. This righteous judgment of the Lord confirms that Moses did not exalt himself, but rather it was the Lord who established him in this role. As Moses says in verse 28, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. In the face of Korah's rebellion, the Lord confirms His exclusive call on Moses and Aaron. This acceptance of Moses and Aaron is confirmed again when we read that the bronze from the rebels' incense burners was melted down and hammered into the altar. We read in verse 40 of our text that this was done to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider, that is, no one who is not from the line of Aaron, who is not a descendant of Aaron, should draw near to burn incense before the Lord. The Lord's unique judgment of Korah and His command to hammer the rebels' incense burners into the altar are a display to all Israel 
and to us who now come to read God's Word, that the Lord alone has the right to appoint the mediator. All those who would seek to come before the Lord through anyone else but His appointed priest will only come to utter ruin. And in a vivid fashion, the Lord displays that those who would seek to approach Him through any other means will go down into the very depth of eternal execration. For the Lord Jesus Himself declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Or as Peter says in Acts chapter 4, And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Against the challenges of Korah, the Lord displays that His anointed mediator is the only mediator that He will accept. In the Old Covenant, this role was given to the high priest from the line of Aaron until the day when Christ came and was appointed by God the Father to offer the sacrifice of His own life upon the cross. A better sacrifice and a better mediator. One who can save to the uttermost. And we must never forget this truth. Or we will flag in our evangelism and we will lose urgency in our mission. There are unknown numbers of people in our world who are seeking the Lord through a false prophet, through a false philosophy, through a false mediator. And yet there is only one name under heaven by which we might come to the Lord and be saved. There is no room for rival saviors. No one comes to the Father except through the one appointed mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we read this text, and as we see the judgment that came upon Korah, we must be encouraged that we would call forth our friends away from the rebellion. That we would call away from Korah the nations and show them Christ, the one and only mediator between God and man. Now, Korah in his rebellion, have been judged. It is clear that Moses and Aaron alone are the Lord's appointed mediator. And in the final verses of our text, we see how they act as the only mediator between God and man. You see, the people were not happy about the exclusive nature of Moses' ministry. And they begin to grumble again. They begin to complain that Moses had killed the people of the Lord. As though Moses could have opened up the mouth of the earth to swallow the rebels. And do we not, who claim that Christ alone is the way to salvation, have to deal with the same complaint do not people get angry with us when we proclaim salvation in no one else's name but Jesus as though somehow we are the ones who have caused this to happen. That we are the ones who are causing people to be judged. As though we are the one who is forcing the Lord's hand to do it this way. Nevertheless, what we see is that the exclusive nature of the one mediator is not unjust but rather it is completely of love. 
As the judgment of the Lord burns against the people for their sin and their rebellion, we read that His appointed mediator makes atonement for the sins of the people and therefore stands between life and death. Look at verses 47 and 48 of your text. And see how Moses and Aaron act as a mediator between a rebellious people and the judgment of the Lord. It says, So Aaron took it, the the atoning sacrifice, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. You see, the Lord did not appoint one mediator to be stingy with salvation. He did not do it because he wanted to stop people from coming to him. He appointed one mediator so that his atoning sacrifice might stop the plague of death among his people. There is one mediator because He is gracious and loving and kind. The Lord desires life and salvation for this world. That's why we read in 1 Timothy 2, This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. Do you see how the Apostle Paul brings together the exclusivity of one mediator between God and man with God's graciousness that He desires salvation for all the world? This is why the Lord Jesus had to come to earth. He came into the midst of the plague of death so that on the cross He might offer an atoning sacrifice for sin and thereby stand between the living and the dead. God has one mediator so that the plague might be stopped. So that death would reign no more. So that His people would be freed from the curse of their own rebellion and sin and be restored back to fellowship with Him. Now, again, you might object as to why there's only one mediator. But the love and mercy of the Lord is displayed in that there is a way of salvation. You might object that it's not fair, but by terms of fairness, there need not be any way of salvation. The exclusivity of salvation in Christ is not because the Lord desires death, but rather because the Lord desires life. He desires the plague of death to end. Moses and Aaron had to be upheld as the only means to come to the Lord because they were a foreshadow of the coming mediator. In their exclusivity, they were pointing to Christ. You see, there's only one way to God the Father because there is only one God the Son. And to represent God to man, the Lord Jesus had to be fully God. And yet, to represent man to God, the Lord Jesus had to be fully man. And so, in the fullness of time, God the Son took on human flesh, 
was born amidst His people and offered Himself up upon the cross as an atoning sacrifice. The death of man becomes the death of God and the life of God becomes the life of man. There's only one way because there is only one God and one God-man, the man Christ Jesus. And the God-man now stands in the midst of the plague between life and death as the means of salvation. All other means will only lead to the same judgment as Korah. Yet one mediator has been given. For as we read those familiar verses from the, from the Gospel of John, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. There is only one name under heaven by which we might be saved. This exclusivity is not for the condemnation of the world, but for the salvation of the world. So come then. There is only one path that will lead you home. Only one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now. Overwhelmed that you would come into the midst of the plague. Though we were a rebellious people, Lord Jesus, you came to stand between the living and the dead, that we might be drawn forth into life. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith, that we would follow after the Lord Jesus Christ all the days of our lives. And it's through his holy name that we do pray. Amen.